Heavenly Father, it is a great blessing to have your word before us. But Lord, we need more of your mercy, more of your grace, if we are to understand it. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may work upon our hearts this morning so that we can understand what you have said in this part of Isaiah. And we pray that it may encourage us to do what you would have us do so that you pronounce upon us the verdict of well done, good and faithful servant when we meet you on that heavenly day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked for a sign from God, for him to do some sort of miracle uh, so that you would believe in him? I remember as a kid, I heard the story of Gideon with his fleece. And of course, that then led me to think, ah, God does these miracles to confirm uh, his word. And so I will believe in God if he does a miracle for me. I didn't aim high. I didn't go out and put a fleece out on the ground and ask that it be dry and all the ground wet or vice versa. I just thought something a little bit more likely, I'd give him a bit of a chance, is I was lying in bed and trying to go to sleep and I got to thinking of this and I thought, I haven't looked at the time for a while. If I can guess what time it is on the clock when I turn around and look at it, then if I'm right, then God does exist and I should believe in him. But if I'm wrong, then, well, I won't believe. And so I played this game and I played it many times because it wouldn't always work. I wouldn't get the time right, but I would sit there and calculate what it probably is likely to be. And I played this game again and again. Or I'd sometimes play the game of uh, if someone walks up the hall in the next five minutes to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, then God does exist. I would put out this test to God and ask him for a sign that he really did exist. Asking God for signs is not a new thing. Gideon, we see there, uh, gets this sign given to him in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And today we're going to look at the sign that is offered to Ahaz. We've been looking at Isaiah chapter 7, and we've come to this point now where uh, he is offered a sign from God in verses 10 through to pretty much verse 13. What's this all? What's the context, the background of this? Well, um, in previous weeks, we've been looking at Ahaz here. And basically, Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he's got some people coming to invade him, two other kings, and he's very worried about this. And God has sent Isaiah, his prophet, to Ahaz and said, it's not going to take place. God's word says you're going to be safe, that these people are not going to end up destroying you. And then Ahaz is offered a sign from God. And we read that in verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is on page 681, chapter 7. Then verse 11 it says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So God offers Ahaz a sign to prove that he should be trusted in, because he's just been told to trust. Back in verse 9, we saw the head of Ephraim in Samaria and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So God has said, trust me, trust my promise that everything will be okay, and I'm going to give you a sign that everything will be okay. And it's a sign that can be in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Ask me for a sign. And I will prove that my word is trustworthy and true. 
And what does Ahaz do? Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to test you. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Does that make God happy? Does that make Isaiah happy? Well, we read the very next verse, verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Isaiah gets angry and says, You are trying God's patience by refusing a sign. And so Ahaz is condemned for not accepting the offer of a sign from God. The question then is, is Ahaz right or wrong here to refuse this sign? Uh, Are we right and wrong to refuse signs or to request signs? The whole subject of signs is tricky because we'd like to put out a fleece and see it come uh, to be dry in the morning or wet and everything around it to be dry. We'd like these signs, these proofs, that God's word can be trusted. And it looks like Ahaz is doing the right thing there. So by uh, saying, I don't need the proof, is he doing the right thing or is he doing the wrong thing? Well, Isaiah seems to think, yes, he is doing the wrong thing. So what is this subject of signs and how can we best understand it? Well, firstly, we've got to understand what is a sign. A sign, as I've alluded to, is something that affirms or points to something as true. So we have signs all around us, signposts on the road, pointing out that something true is coming up, like traffic lights or people on the road. Uh, Those signs are there to direct us to something. And it's the same in the Bible. God gives signs. Signs to direct us to him and that he is trustworthy and true. And often they're miraculous works. We see that in the New Testament with uh, Jesus. He does signs and wonders, miracles. He heals people and he uh, has great power over nature to point to the fact that he is who he claims to be, that he is God and should be trusted. So on the subject of signs, I've got three main points this morning for us to learn from from the passage of Isaiah chapter 7. Firstly, asking for signs can be wrong. Asking for signs can be wrong. Why do we know that the asking for signs can be wrong? Well, the book of Deuteronomy, part of the law that is given by Moses, says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test the Lord your God. Clearly commanded in the law. And then Jesus, when he's speaking to Satan... What does he say? Satan gives him all these uh, tests and says, do this, do that, do this, do that. Do this miracle of making something bread. Jump off a high building. And what does Jesus say to Satan? Do not test the Lord your God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, don't ask for signs, Satan. And in Deuteronomy, we see the Israelites are told, don't ask for signs. Why would God condemn asking for signs? Why would he not want us to ask for signs? Well, when you ask for a sign, it demonstrates that you're an unbeliever, that you need more evidence before you will believe. The reason you refuse to believe is because if you get a sign, it means that you're going to have to believe in God. And so uh, you're, you, you want the sign so that you will believe. And what you end up doing is making God a performer 
and you, the master, with the carrot of belief for that person, uh, for God. You're saying to God, if you do this trick for me, then I'll give you the carrot of belief. And so what you're doing is putting yourself in the shoes of God. You're giving the orders to God as to what he should do so that then you will believe. And so you're proving by the fact that you're asking for a sign that you're not a believer. And this is exactly what I was doing in my bed when I was lying there, couldn't sleep at night, and thought I'd start testing God. I was doing the wrong thing. I was sinning because I was making God do things so that then I would believe in him. Whereas it should be obvious to believe in God without needing signs. We should all recognise that God does exist, that he is there, and that we should trust him and his word. It should be obvious to us. We shouldn't need signs. We shouldn't need miracles to be done. We shouldn't be able to need God to help us guess the time on the clock so that then we can confirm that he exists. We should believe in him, full stop. We shouldn't need signs. So then the question is, why does a heart get condemned by Isaiah for refusing a sign, for rejecting the sign? After all, he quotes the law to Isaiah. He says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. He's saying, I'm not going to test the Lord. Yet then he is condemned by Isaiah. And that brings me to my second main point then, rejecting signs is always wrong. My first was that asking for signs can be wrong, but rejecting signs is always wrong. You don't ask for signs. That's clear in the Bible. Deuteronomy condemns it, Jesus condemns it. But when they are offered, you're meant to accept them. Because God knows that we're frail creatures. We should automatically believe in God as soon as we are born and grow up. We should know that there is a God and that he exists and that he should be trusted. But the trouble is we're frail creatures and we're sinful creatures. And so we struggle to believe that God exists. We struggle to trust his word. And so God in his mercy gives us signs. He gives us miracles. He gives us evidence that he does exist to help us believe because our faith is so weak. Our faith is so bad. And so God offers these signs to us. And when he does, we should accept them and have our faith strengthened. We should not reject them like Ahaz rejects them here. This is what the Israelites were condemned again and again for in the desert as being people who tested God. They grumbled against him when they'd been offered great signs. They'd been given all these signs in Egypt that God existed and that he had great power. All these plagues came. They then got manna. They got quail. But they still grumble against God. They still test him by not believing in him, trusting him and trusting Moses. They're ready to reject Moses. And it's because they're rejecting God's signs. These evidences that God is trustworthy, God is going to look after them. If he brought them out of Egypt, he's going to make sure they get through the desert. But instead of trusting the signs and, re- and accepting them, they reject them. And God condemns them for it, as we read in that psalm at the beginning, that they did the wrong thing in rejecting God and testing him. 
So Ahaz here is quite right, uh, quite wrong to reject this sign. God has made this generous offer to him. And it really is generous. You see uh, what the limits of the sign are? He says, verse 11, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You can go right down to the grave or right up to heaven. Any sign that you want, you can have it to confirm that this is not going to happen to you, that these kings are not going to come and take over. You can have a sign. This is the generosity of God, the mercy of God to our hearts. He should believe anyway. But God says, okay, I know it's a struggle for you. You're worried about these armies coming. I'm going to give you a sign. And Ahaz then is so wrong to reject that sign, to reject the evidence that God is offering that he is going to keep his word. And so we see with Ahaz here that when he rejects this sign, it really proves his unbelief, his sin, and that he does not want to believe. He's saying here, I don't want to know that God's word is true. I don't want to know God. If he gives me a sign, then I might have to believe him. But if he doesn't give me a sign, if I reject it, well, then I won't have to believe him because nothing fantastic has happened. The sun hasn't stopped still in the sky. Nothing's come up from the ground. Then I can still keep on rejecting God and be okay with it because the evidence then isn't screaming me in the face. And so Ahaz is showing not just that he doesn't believe, but that he doesn't want evidence to believe. He likes his life, and he likes trusting in other gods, and he likes trusting in himself and his own plans. He doesn't want God's help, and he doesn't want proof from God that God is the God that he claims to be. And so then Ahaz is rightly condemned by Isaiah when, God, and when he says to him, Will you try God's patience in verse 13? He says, Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Ahaz has tried people's patience by being an evil king. He's tried people's patience by rejecting God's prophets, these men that keep coming to him, like Isaiah and telling him the right way. And their patience is getting tried again and again. But Isaiah says, you're doing more than just trying man's patience. Do you realize that by rejecting God, you're trying God's patience? And that means that God is not your God. It's interesting, the change that comes from verse 11 to verse 13 in Isaiah's words about who God is. The pronouns change. Look in verse 11, it says, Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Then what do we get to in verse 13? Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of your God also? No, it says my God. Quite clearly showing that Ahaz does not recognize God as his God. And he's trying God's patience and there will be consequences for trying God's patience. You can try the patience of men quite easily for quite a time, but you can't try God's patience forever. Eventually, you will be condemned and judged and punished for trying God's patience. 
This goes for Ahaz and this goes for people today. Because it's still the same with people today. The spirit of Ahaz is alive and well right now in Australia and throughout the world. God has given signs that he is believable and that his word should be trusted. But people continue to reject him. What signs has God given? Well, the biggest sign, the greatest sign, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's there in the New Testament as a historical fact that cannot be denied. People have tried again and again to to explain the resurrection away. But it's there. It screams at you in the face that God exists, that he cares about man, and that his judgment coming that he has warned about is true. He shows that he exists and his word is true by the resurrection of the dead, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection didn't take place, then we can toss God's word out as untrue and unbelievable. But if the resurrection did take place, it's a great sign that God does exist and that he should be trusted. But when you present this sign, the resurrection, to people, do they accept it? No. And often, they don't even want to know about it. You try and give them evidence, you try and show them from the Bible, or you get another book that tries to help explain how the resurrection is true, they don't want it. They're like a house. They say, I will not ask God. I will not ask for evidence. And it shows their unbelief and their desire not even to consider the evidence, not even to consider having a sign, not even to consider a sign that is from the deepest depths and the highest heights. Jesus came from the highest heights, came to the deepest depths, he went to the grave and then came back up again and went back to heaven. And that's the sign that's on offer to our hearts. You can have something that goes from the deepest depths to the highest heights. That's what we've been given in the resurrection of Jesus. We've been given this marvellous sign, this true miracle. None of you have seen someone raised from the dead. Here we do see it. But people don't want it. They don't even want to consider it, which is the amazing thing. You think if you were able, if you told someone, I know that people can come back to life, they'd be very interested. The paper would be very interested to hear about it. I've got evidence that people can be raised from the dead. We say that as Christians. What's the response? Don't want to hear about it. Don't want to read the Bible. Don't want to read books about it. Don't want to hear you speak about it. They just don't want the sign. Just like Ahaz here. He's been offered a sign, doesn't want it. What he should have said is, yeah, prove it. And given some great miracle that get God to do it. But he says, no, I won't. Why? Because he doesn't want to believe. He doesn't want to know that God is true and can be trusted. So when God offers you a sign, evidence that he exists, you're meant to accept it. And you're meant to not cover up your rejection of it with false holiness either. Because you notice that Ahaz doesn't come out and say, I don't believe, and that's why I reject you giving me a sign. 
Ahaz hides the rejection behind false holiness. And that's what we see here in this third main point. Hiding rejection of signs in false holiness is wrong too. Ahaz hides his rejection of the sign in piety. He quotes the scriptures back to Isaiah to say, I don't, I shouldn't ask for a sign. And so what he's starting to do by saying, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test, is he's saying, it's really God's fault that I'm not asking for a sign? Because it seems like God is contradictory here, that he's on one hand saying, don't test me, and then now he's saying, test me. And so the reason I, I'm confused here, I can't really accept the evidence because I don't know what to do. I've studied the law and the law says don't ask. And now you're saying do ask. And so I'll say don't ask to be safe. But really, he just doesn't want to believe. And so he's hiding behind the law to try and protect himself. And people do that today as well. People don't become Christians for often pious-sounding reasons. They say, I'm just not clever enough to understand the Bible and what it says about the resurrection. I can't, I'm, I'm not a very good reader, so I, I just can't become a Christian because I, I can't examine it. I can't tell whether this book is historically true. It's, it's beyond me. And it sounds like they're being very humble. And humility is a good thing, isn't it? And they sound like the most humble of all people because they're saying, I'm too dumb. But they're hiding the fact that they don't want to be a Christian. They don't want to consider the evidence. It's very easy to read the Bible. We read it to children all the time. They can grasp who Jesus is and what has happened to him. It's very easy to read the Bible. Some parts of it are more difficult, but um, the parts, the, the Gospels, very clear. John's Gospel, very easy to read. The English that is there. Uh, the translation from the Greek is very easy, and so then the English translation is very easy. Common words, easy words. Someone who says, I'm not clever enough to read the Bible, that's not humility. It's hiding. It's hiding from accepting the signs. It's hiding from God and accepting him. Or other people, they have another type of humility. They say, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian. I'm just not good enough to receive signs. God can't show me something because I'm just a terrible, bad person. God is too good for me and I can't accept his word. I can't read it because I'm not worthy to read the book. I mean, after all, it says holy on the front. I can't do that. I'm not good enough to hear about God and what he has done. And it sounds like humility again. I'm a terrible person. And we affirm that as Christians. We are terrible people. But that doesn't mean you reject God and his signs and his evidence that's given to you. You accept it. You don't hide behind false humility of, I'm too bad to be a Christian. And some people may even quote scripture to get away from accepting signs. How do they do that? Well, some people are clever enough to know about the doctrine of predestination and election. And they say, I can't become a Christian because... I'm not one of the elect. And God has said, I can't come to him unless he draws me, and so I can't go to be a Christian because I haven't seen God call me to himself. And they hide behind some theology, some right theology, but they twist it so that it 
allows them to reject God and his signs. Instead of hearing the call that is there in the Bible to them to come, they reject it because they say, oh, I don't think God has called me. And so they reject God's signs. And this is wrong. It's wrong to reject God's signs and it's wrong to reject them. It's wrong to reject them flat out and it's wrong to reject them with pious, false holiness covering over your rejection. You can't reject God by quoting scripture to him and thinking you can get out of it. So here are three sins on the subject of signs. Asking for signs can be a sin, but rejecting signs is a sin as well. And rejecting signs for in a view of uh, with a pretense of false holiness is wrong as well. Which of these sins do you commit? Do you demand more evidence from God before you will trust in him? You say, I'll believe in God if he appears to me, if I hear some audible voice from him, or Jesus comes here, or Jesus appears in the heavens. Then I will believe. You're testing God, and you're sinning by doing that. Or maybe you don't ask for signs, but you also reject signs when God offers them because you prefer not to believe. You'd rather not examine the evidence because you know what it might mean. You might have to accept that God exists. You might have to start living according to his laws rather than your own laws, which you find much easier to uphold. And so you'd rather not examine God's signs. And maybe you even do it with the pretense of holiness, that you cover your rejection with holiness of, I'm too sinful to be a Christian and to hear about God's signs, or I'm too dumb to understand the Bible and accept God's signs. Is that you? If that's you, I beg of you, don't reject God anymore. Don't reject his signs anymore. Repent of the sin of refusing to believe in God. And if you've asked for signs in the past, repent of those too. may not have been like lying on your bed trying to guess the time like I did. You may have asked that God appear to you. Repent of that. And repent of rejecting the evidence that God has given you in the past. The evidence that screams at you from creation but also from the word. We have so much evidence that God exists and that he is faithful and true. And his warning that judgment is coming and the security that you can have if you trust in Jesus Christ is true. The evidence is all there. If you will accept it rather than reject it. Do that today if you haven't done it before. Accept the evidence that God is there. And repent of your rejection of him in the past and trust that Jesus Christ covers that sin that you have committed in the past of rejecting God. That Jesus on the cross, he bore the punishment that you deserve for your sins of unbelief. All the sins that you have committed are transferred over to him and his righteousness comes over to you. Do that now. Stop rejecting God and his signs that he has graciously offered us. He didn't need to offer us a single sign. He didn't need to. But he has. So will you accept them? 
Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being so merciful toward us and helping us with our unbelief by giving us signs that you are there and that you have spoken in your word and that we can trust your word is true when it speaks about the safety we can have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we still, however, struggle with unbelief. We pray that we may accept your signs. We pray that we may examine what your word has shown, that you are true, that you do exist. We may examine the life of Jesus and see the miracles he did that show that he was God and that he, his claims that he was the Messiah are true. We pray that we may examine the evidence of the resurrection, that Jesus really did come back to life, proving that you are a trustworthy God. We pray for anyone in this room who has never accepted the evidence, has rejected all signs from you in the past. We pray that they may not do so anymore. May they not be so foolish, but may they repent of their sin and believe that Jesus died for them and that his blood covers over their sins of rejection in the past. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.